You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with David Winner. David, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. David, uh, you're talking to me from Charlottesville. It's January 25th in 2022. I'd like to start off by asking you a little bit about how how the last year or so has affected your 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 work, uh, your practice? Well, I would say attempts to, I mean, I, I write fiction and nonfiction, um, and attempts to sort of include something about the pandemic have been fairly disastrous. Like my most recent novel came out in the spring, and very embarrassingly, about a year before it came out, I, I woke up one morning and I found a computer file that said, the novel was called Enemy Combatant, it said, enemy combatant COVID. Like apparently in some, in some maniacal state, I had tried to work COVID into, into it. Um, so actually writing about the, the virus has not worked out very well for me. Um, but of course, it's affected my life. I mean, I, I, you know, I teach, I you know, teach online, I don't go in. Um, you know, it's, I, live, I live, I'm in Charlottesville now, but I live in, in Brooklyn. Um, you know, so it's, um, day-to-day life has changed, but it's not really, it's not an easy stretch for me to, to turn that into, into writing. Yeah, that's interesting. I always kind of wonder how that will happen because I, I read a lot of fiction myself and I, I don't often see it coming up in writing. And, um, and when it does, it, it, it's, I guess it's so, it's so recent that it seems a little, a little tricky to, to bring in. And in one way, I would think it would be easy. It's something that we all know so well. But uh, yeah. well, we think we know so well, but uh, but I guess it's problematic because it's we're still so close to it. Do you think? I, I think that's it. I mean, I I, um, I I was working on an anthology of writing about COVID from a whole bunch of different writers. Um, that came out last last fall, and the best pieces um, were were by writers who fully understood that their experience was not unique. Um, some of the some of the pieces I thought that were kind of maybe not not as good. The writer was sort of imagining um, his or her experience is different from other people's experience, or somehow special because you know um, they were in, they were in a different place or in a greater crisis or in a. But so this recognition that this is this kind of bizarre common language we're all suddenly speaking was what you know seemed to work best. Yeah, that's that's so that's so interesting and um and i guess ever evolving in, in all these interviews i you know i often ask this question and it's and it's evolved and in a way i'd like not to ask this question to be beyond it but uh i got i don't know when we will be but everybody reacts in a very different way i've i've i often hear you know oh it was it was great i stayed in i, I kept working indoors that was you know for me it was just more time to work others you know had all different versions of it. Like it was horrible. I need social contact. I can't write or work without meeting other people. I don't work in isolation. That just it just doesn't happen to me. To uh, to people having total blocks and thinking that that and, and having kind of a lot of very difficult issues because of it. That um, so it seems that, yeah. that that there's not that many commonalities between how how artists writers are are functioning. That it. That it's 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 incredibly um, varied among among. Writers. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I mean, that the, the sort of the experience is very much in common. That our sort of psychic reactions to it is so specialized to each each person. Um, definitely. 
And so what are you working on now? What should, what should we talk about? Your last book or is there something you're working on now that you want to Well, discuss? you know, I, I finally, you know, I said that that book came out in, in the spring, kind of leaving me with the sort of the big, the big project I've been working on for a very long time, which is almost finished, which I, I'd, like, I'd like to talk about. Um, it's, it's a, even though it's, I feel very close to having finished it, I, I'm not sure about the title even, um, something as basic as that. At the moment, I'm calling it Master Lovers and Others, um, though I'm not happy with that. And it's a book inspired by my father's aunt, um, who was born in 1900, died in 2001, and um, lived in New York. I knew her quite well. She was kind of a classical music empresario. Uh, like she, she was close with um, oh, Toscanini. Um, they, Toscanini wrote her these sort of strange semi-love letters with, with Leonard Bernstein, with um, Maria Callas. Um, she despised Jacqueline, um, Jacqueline Onassis because of, you know, um, Onassis left um, Maria Callas for, for um, him anyway. Um, Oh my God, that's happened. She died at she died at 101. <laughs> Is that correct? Or 100? She died at 101. Yeah, uh, yeah, incredible. Um, Amazing. Um, yeah. So 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 go on. So um, so the real. Her. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely an inspiring figure. Um, and what what um, made me want to write a book about her? I, I mean. Her life was certainly interesting enough, but I had no clue about any sort of way of entering into it or anything um, particular about it. But that, but I, it was up to me. Um, you know, uh, it was a very small family. Um, she never had children. Her closest relative was my my father. Um, so the job of clearing out her sort of a cavernous midtown apartment was left to me. Um, and I discovered five sets of love letters to her from the 30s. Um, and three of, three of the men were married. Um, it was a whole sort of crazy group of letters. Um, and I, the book I've been working on is, is telling her story in some fashion, but trying to piece together the stories of these five love affairs. Um, and you trying to use fiction um, and the le- and non-fiction, whatever little research I was capable of doing and um, sort of trying to make things up where, where, you know, I didn't have information because, of course, I don't have her letters. Um, and I think because these were, you know, um, affairs with married men, um, she really didn't talk about them. Um, so it was just, it's just these... and, and crazy, crazy, passionate, melodramatic letters. And, and I um, began to learn sort of strange, strange things about the men, which took me in sometimes pretty dark places. The, most, the darkest place was that the first set of letters I read, um, I found, um, there were maybe 150, 200 letters, was from a man named John Franklin Carter, who, with whom she had an affair from, I think, about 1932 to periodically goes on and off until 1937 and I looked him up um, and I'm not a researcher um, he um, was a new dealer he worked with Roosevelt um, 
James a minor New Dealer doing agricultural policy. He he spied for Roosevelt during the war, um, which apparently a lot of people did. Um, Roosevelt would kind of you know personally enlist people to, 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 to what that spying consists of. I'm not I'm not really sure, but. Um, my wife actually did this simple thing that never occurred to me to do, um, which is just simply to put him in the New York, put his name into the, the New York Times archive. And I came up with an article from 1932 that said that he had been enlisted by Goering to run a quote-unquote Hitlerist party against Roosevelt in 1932. Um, wow. Yeah, quite the... And, um, there was no reference to this in any of the letters. My, my aunt, I should say, um, was Jewish. Um, um, and I, I eventually found out that he probably was not actually, uh, he wasn't a Nazi, but, um, I, uh, but certainly sympathetic to, to Nazi Germany and maybe sympathetic to fascist Italy. I don't, I don't know. I sort of assume so because he spent a lot of time in Italy in the, in the twenties and early thirties. Um, um, and the, the, the document that I ended up finding, and again, I'm, this is not, this is not a story of someone who's a brilliant researcher. Um, it's a story of someone who kind of bumbles around and stumbles across things is I ended up, finding out that there is an archive for him, a John Carter archive at the University of Wyoming at Laramie. Um, and they sent me a bunch of stuff, including this incredible document, which was uh, John Franklin Carter's wife, Sheila's diary from 1932, when they went to early Nazi Germany. Um, and they witnessed the fall of the Reichstag. Um, they went to a Hitler rally, um, which she referred to as a quite a good show. Um, and they were driven around or taken around by this guy named, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his name because it's a German name. I've never able to pronounce, but, um, he w- he was Hans Sengel. Um, I'll make my bad attempt. He was, um, someone who was close, very close to Hitler in, in the early thirties, um, at some some places it was called, he was called Hitler's press secretary, but I don't think that was true. He was certainly a close member of Hitler's circle, um, and um, they referred to him as Putsi. Um, and later he wrote them a letter um, um, on Reich stationery. This is also in in the archive, um, the Carter archive. Um, saying that he'd like to be, no longer wanted to be referred to as putsy, he wanted to be referred to as putz. Um, and whether that was the, which totally sounds like, you know, the, the Yiddish, you know, he's a putz. Right, slang. Um, uh, the, the, right. Slang. The, the derogatory Yiddish slang, really, right? Derogatory Yiddish slang from this person who is, you know, a Nazi. He was, I mean, um, and I, I, I think what happened was that, um, John Franklin Carter had written a very sort of laudatory article about um, Goering, who he interviewed in, in, in 32, and the Times um, turned that, transformed that somehow into this um, story about his running a, a Hitlerist party against Roosevelt, um, which is, you know, particularly strange because he um, ended up working for Roosevelt and, um, 
in one of his letters to um, my aunt, he is, he's very happy that actually Roosevelt won the 32 election. So it's all... Um, um, but that, finding out that, that he was a, a fan of early Nazi Germany, at least, sort of made me sort of think twice about all these other people in my aunt's world, uh, people that I, including my great uncle, who I loved very much, who was um, Dario, Dario Soria, who was an Italian Jew, um, who left Italy after the Mussolini-Hitler pact, um, to the United States, but he fought in the um, Italian Navy in Eritrea, um, where you know was the Italians murdered. I think I read somewhere four or five percent of people in Ethiopia and Eritrea were murdered by the Italians. Um, um, and I began thinking about my grandfather, who was a journalist, who was also a big fan of Mussolini. To the picture of him and Mussolini I actually have. Anyway, it's interesting that that this this my attempt to tell the stories of these love affairs um, brought me um, into sort of the, the, the darker places of, of the 30s of the tw- um, that, you know, my great aunt also traversed. That's so interesting because also, I mean, it brings you into those darker places, but they're, they're darker in, in hindsight, right? I mean, those years, yeah. 32, 30, you know, Hitler uh, probably didn't, Seemed seemed about as bad as Trump, which is pretty bad. Yes, but but, yes. but he, he, he he the death camps weren't set up then, as far as I know, and it wasn't it no. wasn't quite the you know embodiment of evil that he is now. So, um, yeah, that's that's very interesting to to kind of put all that together. I mean, it was also she was living in the United States, right? That was the the roaring twenties yes. and thirties. There's there's in, in some ways, and they were just out of the. The, the pandemic, or, or, or I don't know how, how yeah, early, yeah, you know. they were. Yeah. So that's almost um, a parallel to now, isn't it? Or, or no, I hear about that, like, will this be, is this the roaring 20s? Or is, is it a, a kind of mirror of what happened 100 years ago? You must be seeing yeah. some of that. Or. I, it's interesting what, 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 I, what I've run across in these letters and what I haven't run across. I mean, no... Can't, yeah, a, a couple. Uh, one of her, her, one of one of her lovers was a um, British police captain who she met. She met several of her lovers on ships going back and forth in in Europe, the Middle East, and the United States. And this one guy, his name was Bill Barker, um, who was a British police captain, who police officer who who fought in at Gallipoli, um, ended up basically in charge of a large part of mandate Palestine. But anyway, he, he was somebody who did um, talk about the Spanish flu, um, having had it um, in one of his letters to her. But other than that, that doesn't really come up. And the, the 20s don't come up too much either, but, but I remember um, having drinks with my aunt at one point um, in, in the 90s and asking her this sort of, dumbass question, which is like, you know, um, those places, you know, when alcohol was illegal, you know, those places you you went into, and she said, speakeasies, Um, which, of course, that would be absolutely no surprise. It's not some, you know, fake news that those places are called speakeasies, but it was kind of an incredible experience to hear her use that phrase that I've, you know, read so much about and seen so many movies about um, 
and have her, you know, in 1998 or whatever, recall recall that phrase. Um, um, yeah, that's fa- but yeah, that's the, fascinating. Yeah, it, it was it was funny. Yeah, um, but yeah, the the, the the pandemic obviously the the so-called Spanish flu um, it must have been, and obviously the prohibition and First World War. Um, well, one thing that that does come up um, that I found um, her my great aunt's um, diary that she wrote in 1914, 1915. Um, um, and um, it's um, well, actually probably 1916. I'm thinking of the dates. She she does talk about U.S. troops gathering um, to go fight in, in the First World War, and that was kind of a a, a notable thing going on in, in New York at that time. Um, and so and so, how will this this come together? This isn't a biography. This is a novel, right? Or how is this structured? It, that's a really good question and something I've, I've struggled with a lot because it's been a long time I've been working on this. Um, absolutely, it's not it's not a biography. Um, I'm, I'm calling it a sort of fiction fusion, fiction nonfiction fusion, um, um, because of the, the fact I, I do use both. But yeah, the, 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 there, there are five chapters, um, the chapter for each of these love affairs, and there are other chapters that tell. Um, you know, tell the story of what I, what I tried to figure out about John Franklin Carter. Um, I also another crazy story about her, which I learned learned completely by happenstance, was that that and this is longer ago. This was something like 1994. Um, I was walking with um, my wife. We weren't married, um, but we were first together in on on Canal Street in Chinatown. And we passed a bank building um, with the with the name. Jarmolovsky in prominent letters, and my great aunt's last name was Jarmel, um, and she figured out um, totally correctly that that was Jarmolovsky, and um, we just looked it up in the AIH guide, you know, the architecture guide to New York, and realized that that he, her um, grandfather, had a bank that, um, and this is another dark story that um, um, during the, the First World War, um, the um, Many. It was a bank for for Lower East Side Jews. I mean, they were they were quite wealthy Jews um, who had this bank for 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 poor Lower Lower East Side Jews. And um, when people in the, the creditors in the bank, um, depositors in the bank, um, started sending money to their relatives overseas because World War One was beginning, um, the bank went under. Uh, also, I should say that the, that the worst part is that they also were speculating in Harlem real estate. Um, they were really quite Trumpian. Um, my, my great, my great grandfather and my great, great grandfather, they really were, you know, totally Trumpian. They, they were speculating in Harlem real estate, which meant they didn't have the money to cover, cover all the depositors. And, um, it was called Black Tuesday. There were massive riots in the Lower East Side and, um, Jews, poor Jews in the Lower East Side actually surrounded my great aunt's sort of fancy apartment building, I think, in the Upper West Side. Um, and she, my grandmother, um, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, had to, like, escape using the fire escape to another building. Um, oh, my God. Um, that's amazing. So that, that's, that's obviously story. another story I, I, tried to tell, I tried to tell in the book. Um, 
Well, that's uh, that's so interesting and and exciting and and yeah and, and fascinating. Just that kind of peek into history and also um, yeah, by turns dark and and also just yeah. kind of thrilling. But um, I'm also curious the, the the letters themselves, the writing in the yes. letters themselves. You know, when sometimes when I read these letters, you know, I don't know by by writers that are writing to each other at the turn of the century or earlier yes. or maybe a little later. They're kind of gorgeous, right? They're these uh, these kind of you know, as they're called, kind of beautiful letters, right? Um, yes. That are, yes. That, that, are, that are just you know, you, you think everybody is, or this is my take on it, that I, I thought everybody was just like fantastically in love, like you know, like Dante with Beatrice or something. But but in fact, it's also just a style of writing. Like I can't breathe, I can't live, I can't sleep, I can't. And where are you, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but but put in beautiful prose was. Did you see any of that, or just in terms of the style of the writing? Well, actually, this is another weird thing. Um, one of the letters, one of the lovers, I think, was a guy named Albert Coates, who was a conductor, a British conductor, um, and he wrote her these absolutely over-the-top letters. I mean, he refers to his wife as a King Arthur figure, who's going to ruin everything, like in the you know, like in the Arthur story. Um, and yeah, these are just way over the top. Um, but uh, and they, I found them uh, in um, a, a sort of a hidden drawer in my great aunt's apartment. Um, but they were addressed to someone, someone called Joanni. They weren't addressed to my, my, my great aunt's name was Dorley, which is kind of a German Jewish name at that time. But these, these way over the top letters that were in Dorley's possession um, were addressed to someone named Joanni. And he, um, this Albert Coates, left his British first wife for a South African soprano named Johanna. Um, so you might think these, these, these most heightened melodramatic letters weren't from my great aunt at all. But why could they possibly have ended up in her apartment? Um, I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, th- those were the ones that are the most sort of melodramatic and over the top. Wow. Well, that's exciting to hear. I'm so glad we talked about this. And, uh, and so that you've been working on this for a while. The, the, uh, obviously, the title, the working title, alludes to these, these, these love letters. These are, uh, you know, essentially between um, lovers. It's kind of... And the quick little other, other thing that they have, the title also refers to a book... Um, that my great-aunt published, or a series of stories that my great-aunt published in something called Romance Magazine in 1916 called um, Master Lovers of the World. And she told story, and here's where we really get to what you were talking about with old, older love letters, I mean, though they're not love letters, they're stories. She, there's there's um, Henry VIII, um, Casanova, Franz Liszt, um, Gauguin, um, and she tells these way, way over the top um, romanticized love, love versions of, of, their, of their love affairs. Um, and the, the master lovers comes from what she called this, these, these stories she published in, in Romance Magazine, which is some sort of you know, early, early 20th century magazine. Um, she was writing those and submitting those stories. She was writing those and submitting those stories, and I thought they were all unpublished. It was a family story was that they were actually published, but I thought that was false. In fact, I found the manuscript um, 
in um, having been sent to a literary agency, but the literary, literary agency um, had no knowledge of them. And I, but I, I thought that, that, that they were just written. But then I, then, I mean, I ended up, as you can imagine, with all these, all these papers and papers and papers and papers from her long life, my great aunt's long life. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Romance Magazine, this big kind of glossy 1916 whenever magazine cropped up and I found some of them there. So she had submitted them and, they, and this magazine had published, published them. Um, wow, that, is, that, that really is kind of a fascinating detective story. I mean, you, you talk about yourself as kind of a lay researcher, but you're really uncovering all kinds of fascinating things that seems that I know you're not meticulously researching, but between right. what your wife's saying and these clues, that in itself yeah. is, a, is a very exciting story. Yeah, and it, research it, it's really exciting. I am sort of like the Inspector Clouseau version of the researcher. I mean, I'm just bumbling, um, but I, you know, have been, been lucky enough to find, find things. Um, well, thank, um, thanks so much for, for talking about that specifically, David. Um, I wish you well with that. and um, Thank you. I'll put links in here where I can to your other books, but also uh, I hope listeners will look out for that when it's, when it's published. I want to ask you one more question, which is sure. what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, um, I'm reading the, the Franson book, but that's not what I, I was actually dipped into a book. I... Um, again, that I, I read a long time ago. I want to talk to a little bit about that. Um, I don't know if you know this book. Um, it's a book called The, the Counterfeiter um, by a post-war Japanese writer called um, Yasushi Inoue. Um, and it's a book, I, I don't know if, if um, listeners were, I'm sure some were um, in, in St. Mark's bookstore in the, in, the, in the East Village in New York in, in, in the 90s. Um, they had a little section in the back um, where they had a, a publisher called Kodansha, I think it was called, um, put out these beautiful um, Japanese post-war novels in, in English. And this one is about a biographer, and it kind of comes back to uh, a little bit to myself and trying to write about my great aunt and her experience. Um, it's a biographer who is who's supposed to be um, writing a biography of a famous Japanese artist um, but becomes absolutely obsessed with somebody else, a kind of a, a minor figure who counterfeited the the famous Japanese artist. And so rather than researching the story of the artist, he researches the story of the counterfeiter um, who ultimately um, who, who makes a living counterfeiting this, this artist and then later becomes obsessed with um, fireworks. He wants to make fireworks like chrysanthemums. Um, um, wow, that sounds fascinating. I don't know that book, The Counterfeiter, um, but that that sounds so interesting, right? And that relates in some ways to your to your current process. Yeah, it does. It does. David, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. It's it's been a pleasure, and I, I wish you well. Thank you so much for having me. It really was a great pleasure for me. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.